care, but don't feel the need to please people as much. Like really be, do it for you, not in a selfish way, but in a confident and authentic way. I've spent too much time worrying about other people and, and thinking that if you were only nice enough or accommodating enough or, or whatever enough, if you could, if you could just, you know, put enough sugar on the spoon that it would make it okay. And it really, what it comes down to is do really good work and to have confidence in yourself. And there's going to be moments of doubt, but, but make the effort to remind yourself of why you're good and, and the, the good things you've done. And, and if, if, if even, I gotta be honest, like I'll go back and remember performances that I really liked and I'll watch stuff to remember that, Oh yeah, I can do this and watch great auditions. Like you need to keep putting the, the table legs under the table because it's very easy to doubt yourself and it's very easy to, to second guess things. And there's no, there's no way forward looking backwards. So I would just tell myself to give less fucks and, uh, and just uh, give more fucks to what needed to, they need to be given to. <laughs> You're listening to inside the audition, the podcast where we go behind the scenes and take a deep dive. Look at the world of auditioning for TV, film, and theater. My name's Joe Lars Larson. And I'm Brandon Knox. And we are obsessed with helping you elevate your auditions and get one step closer to booking your dream role. Each episode, we host actors, comedians, and industry professionals who share their experiences, insights, and advice on the audition process. From how to find more auditions, preparation and rehearsal, to nailing your audition and callback, we'll provide actionable tips and tools systems and processes, resources and training that you need to land your next role. We demystify the often intimidating and misunderstood world of auditions to help you succeed. So whether you're just starting out on your acting journey or you're a seasoned pro, join us today as we go Inside the Audition. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 122 of Inside the Audition. I'm Lars and Brandon uh, BK Broiler. How you doing, BK? I'm fantastic, Lars. I'm going to the Leaf game tonight. I'm very excited. I see. Yes, we were talking backstage. Um, if you were to just look silently at the, our podcast clips, it would appear that it's a it's a the Toronto Maple Leafs hockey podcast, uh, but it is not. Brandon's just a super fan. And um, what's the word? Um uh masochist i think is the word someone who um likes pain and uh <laughs> likes to be disappointed i i like to think of it as a a, a loyal and diehard fan but right. uh, you you can say it however you want lars right potato potato i think something uh, same, like that same but different <laughs> um but i do uh, i appreciate your loyalty and um i respect i respect your um willingness to be disappointed year after year uh but you say this is the year they're going to win the whole thing yeah which i think have people been saying that since 1967 well yeah yeah but (laughs) this is the year (laughs) right right this is year well good luck tonight um i'll uh stay tuned for your instagram but uh enough leaf talk today i don't even want to get into too much chit chat often we banter off the top but i want to get right into it with our guests uh, this is my birthday week on uh, Friday. It's my birthday, Friday the 13th. I was actually born on Friday the 13th. So this is a special one for me. So for me today, our guest is an early birthday present for me and for all of our viewers. Uh, make sure you stick around for this one. Get a notepad out. I'm sure there's going to be tons of pearls of wisdom drops uh, as we uh, share uh, our 
audition processes today. So uh, without any further ado, we're going to show a clip. We're going to roll a little clip. Mm -hmm. Can I say the magic words? Say the magic words, Lars. Roll the clip. I'm sure more than one of you have woken up in the middle of the night and you've walked to the bathroom, you've flipped on the light and you've stared at yourself in the mirror. And you had a good long look and you asked yourself, who am I? Who am I? That's a big question. That's a very, that's a very heavy and dangerous question. That's like existential time. When I was in university, I stood in front of that mirror and I looked at myself and I said, who am I? And I picked up a razor blade that was sitting beside the sink and I started to shave my head. And then I mailed that hair to my mother. <laughs> I have never been shy of the great dramatic gesture. <laughs> what it is, is a big question. Who am I? And most of you would be prone to ask that question at this time in your life. But today I'm going to say, don't ask that question. You see, who am I is the question of the critic. Now it's the historian. It's the map maker. It feels kind of like you're taking a Sharpie and you're drawing an outline of your body and it's permanent and you can't escape it. And it comes from instead, I want you to think like an artist. I want you to think like a creator. I want you to ask the question, who do I want to be? All right, ladies and gentlemen, our guest today, he starred in over 100 films and TV episodes, video games, multiple award nominations and wins. Uh, you might recognize him from some of his notable roles as Billy in A History of Violence or Jeremy Danvers in Bitten, Cobb's Pond in Frontier or The Father in Far Cry. He's also got a very successful TED Talk, which you just saw a clip of. Uh, and he's a keynote speaker and a coach himself, coaching a lot of his own private clients. And we are lucky to have him as a member here at Actors Audition Club. Please welcome to the podcast, Mr. Greg Brick. Woo! There he is. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, nice great to see, see you. you too. Thanks yeah. for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. It truly is my pleasure. Yeah, yeah. We're, um, we're, this is one of our, uh, the ones that we've been looking forward to for a long time. Not to take anything away from any of our other guests, but... Um, uh, just to give you a little bit of history, and, and of course, you know this, Greg, you first came to uh, Actors Audition Club to do a self-tape with us probably four years ago, five years ago, when we were very new, uh, and we had mutual friends. You'd work with Alex Ozeroff on Bitten, and uh, we love Alex here at the studio, and uh, I think he recommended that you come in here, and I remember the day that you came in here thinking, wow, that's the best actor who's ever walked into the studio. Uh, and it was because of your preparation and your professionalism. And you, I think you were doing, two, it was two separate auditions, maybe two or three scenes each. You came in and you banged out two different versions of each, of each scene like it was an on-the-day shoot. Like they could have just used your audition as the... <laughs> as the the shoot as the footage in the movie it was that spot on and then you walked out and i was like well that's how you do things so ever since then anytime anyone has, has asked me like oh who's come in here any notables and i always point to you as the number one um actor as far as preparation and professionalism and just 
nailing it in the room. I don't think we had, I don't even think you rehearsed it. It was just like, let's shoot it, bang, 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 and you were out of here. Uh, like it was an in-person audition versus a self-tape experience. So we're pumped to have you on the podcast today uh, for you to share some of that wisdom and share some of your experience with our audience. But first, something that we like to do here is uh, called the One Minute Life Story. This is where Brandon is going to put a stopwatch up on the clock. Yeah. And you have one minute to tell us the life of Greg Brick. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, this is Greg Brick's one-minute life story starting now. Well, I was born and raised in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, my mother was a school teacher. My father was a lawyer. I grew up playing a lot of sports, uh, shivering in the cold winters. Had no idea that I ever wanted to be anything other than a lawyer, which my dad was. Um, was a very good football player, was recruited to go play football at Queen's University, did that, played for three seasons there, was an academic All-Canadian, won a Vanier Cup National Championship, realized I was not good enough to be a professional football player, and at that time, I was encouraged to try my hand at acting, was cast as Hamlet, fell in love with acting, fell in love with the girl, went to New York City, continued my training, got pregnant, became a father, became a professional actor, and I've spent the last 26 years of my life dancing from shadow to shadow, trying to figure it out. Oh. And that was Greg Brick's One Minute Life Story with five seconds to spare. Yeah, uh, I just want to point out whose acting debut is playing Hamlet. Yeah. Like, this guy doesn't mess around. He's <laughs> like, hey, you should try acting. Oh, okay. How about Hamlet? Yeah, no, it was a strange, it was a very strange start to uh, what has been a very strange and enjoyable life. Um, you know, acting wasn't, are we jumping in here? Do you want me to start? Yeah, yeah, yeah let's jump in. Yeah, yeah, I, acting, I grew up playing a lot of sports. I played uh, uh, football. I played hockey, triple A hockey when I was a kid. Go Leafs, go. Um, and then uh, I was also a very good football player. And when I got to be about 15, 16, I had to choose, chose football, went on to Queens University and, uh, and, and played there. And a, a great experience, you know, excellent group of guys and some wonderful coaches. And the university was, uh, was a, an incredible experience. And then in my third year, I, I had a, took a playwriting class. I'd always written a little bit of poetry and stuff and been interested in literature. And the professor really liked the way I read my own stuff and the way I wrote. And he encouraged me to uh, think about acting. And in my fourth year, he was going to be directing a production of Hamlet. And it was, uh, he, he asked me to audition. His original idea was sort of the, the idea of exploring the mutable self. He was a very well-known uh, mask maker in Canada. His name is Fred Uringer. He did a lot of masks for Stratford and stuff like that. And the idea was that each young actor would play Hamlet at a different stage in the play and you change masks and identities. And it was a really cool idea. And during this audition process, he was doing chemistry reads to see where people would fit. And after about three weeks, he, uh, he pulled me aside after, after this sort of rehearsal audition session. And he said, you know, I've had this idea for Hamlet in my head for since I was in theater school myself. And this is going to be my last Hamlet. He was in his 70s, older gentleman. And uh, he goes, I want to scrap that production. I want you to play Hamlet. And it was uh, an unabridged version of the play. And uh, I was familiar wow. with Shakespeare because I studied Shakespeare literature. 
uh, that same night I kissed my now wife for the first time. So I was falling in love with her, falling in love with acting, racing back and forth between her little third story apartment and, and the theater. And, and I, I just fell in love with this new life and this art form and ignorance was bliss. I didn't think I couldn't play the part because why would, like, why would I think any differently? And, uh, and I got some nice uh, encouragement doing that and uh, thought, well, well I got to go train somewhere because I decided this was going to be my new life. Little did I know. And so I went to New York. My, my wife, Danielle, and I, we packed one little suitcase with uh, some books, some clothes, and a little pair of baby jeans that she bought after our third date that each of our kids has worn since then. And we moved to New York and I went to Circle in the Square Theater School where um, Benicio Del Toro went, Philip Seymour Hoffman went. And it was this amazing program for me. Each, I mean, everybody acting is so funny, as you guys well know, that it, you know, whatever helps you work, whatever helps you um, commit to a part, to be believable in a part, to access yourself in the service of a part, that's what works. And this program had a mixture of technical classical work. We had a lot of Juilliard professors working with us, voice and speech and movement and, uh, and neutral mask and all of that stuff. And then we also had um, part of the curriculum was much more least Strasbourgian method-based acting, sense memory, effective memory. And so it was this balance and they just, it fit very well. And I was challenged by my, my teachers and I was encouraged by my teachers. And it was this incredible experience being in New York and learning how to play myself, learning what worked for me, what didn't work for me, got to wrestle with some really great parts and, and, and work with some really fine actors. And also being in New York at that time was so exciting. I mean, that city always feels like it's giving birth to something exciting and, you know, the sounds of sirens and living in the Lower East Side in the East Village. It was just, it was really, it was powerful. It was a really powerful and alchemic experience. It changed who I was. And then we got pregnant when I was in my second year, found out Christmas of my second year and, uh, and decided that we were going to get married. And we had my oldest son, Dempsey, that summer, uh, who's starring in Willow right now. And, uh, and I, I just, so my life began as an actor and as a father at the same time and as a husband and trying to figure out how that was going to work out and also trying to figure myself out as a man growing up. I mean, I was 23 years old. I didn't know much of, of anything and we just struggled and I didn't have, I spent a lot of time early in my career waiting tables obviously um you know auditioning trying to figure out how to audition that's one thing that's never covered in theater school well we had no on camera um component of it and also auditioning and all like sort of not just the business of it but just the psychology of, of that was never covered so i was trying to and i didn't know actors i didn't grow up with actors i'd never seen a play till i was 21 years old um, so I had no, it was like a very much an undiscovered country that I was adventuring or venturing forth into. But I, I you know, I, I figured things out. I went to Stratford, was asked to do an apprenticeship there, then was asked to join their first conservatory, which was a, another great experience being around these young actors and 
just being immersed in that, that intense training was fantastic. Got pregnant again, <laughs> had Billy, my middle son, um, shameless plug of him. He's doing press right now for when you finish saving the world, his sort of big film debut opposite, uh, Julianne Moore and Jesse Eisenberg's first movie. So both boys are doing that. And my daughter is in New York right now in theater school at the Maggie Flanagan studio, which is a great program there. Um, so I, I wear, I wear their artistic, um, daring and success as a badge of my failure as a parent, because had I been more stable, perhaps they would have <laughs> normal to do with their lives. But, but none of us did pick anything normal to do with our lives. And, you know, I've, I've spent a, year, a, a lifetime because the stakes were so high for me. Um, I love acting and I take it very seriously. I don't take myself terribly seriously, but I take, the work seriously. And I, I find those honest moments that you share with another performer in the service of a story where you really share something of yourself and you don't censor it and it's not guarded and it's not curated. It's just you. And it's, I, I always, I always um, sort of titled it by beauty, not pretty in acting. Like I, I feel that we just need to be human. And I think that if we're brave enough to share that, then that's what makes our work worthwhile. And professionally, I had to take every audition seriously because I, I literally had mouths to feed. I mean, I had babies at home and we were, we struggled financially for a long time and it was hard and we would bounce around from apartment to apartment. And, and, um, and then I sort of got a break when I was, my first sort of break was getting hired by Paul Gross in Men With Brooms, which was kind of like a Canadian classic. And he, he cast me and I was, I was quitting acting at the time. I was go, I wrote my LSATs and I was going to go back to law school because I had kids and we just, I wasn't making any money at all. And I had marriage counselors telling me that I was just a moron for doing this and it was selfish and it was immature and who do you think you are sort of thing. And then I got cast as uh, Alexander the Juggernaut Yount and Paul Gross was a really great mentor to me through that shoot and i got hired and fired from k19 the widowmaker at the same time but they still had to pay me for money and it sort of it, it pivoted me away from law school and i've had you know i've been blessed with with a really great career and and that said it's a really as you guys know because you're both professionals you're both in this it's it's a difficult it's a difficult path it's a very lonely it's a very lonely path in a lot of ways and it's a very like it, it lends itself to insecurity because you're putting yourself out there and all you really have to share is yourself. And sometimes it goes great and sometimes it doesn't go great. And I think the only thing we can do is always come back to like why we want to do this and what can we share in an audition? Like what honesty can we share? Like what is that little grace note of being human and putting everything else out of the way and just being human while the camera's rolling? and sharing that so yeah i love that man what a great origin story you have though mm -hmm. uh from hamlet to new york like yeah. and, and then and then to stratford right after that and and i love that your whole family is in the business too which yes. is obviously has its challenges but now you've you've you seem to have mostly everyone has smashed through the barriers and is is working consistently and having a good time well uh, yeah I, pardon me I was just going to say you guys are like your own Brady bunch, but in acting, you're the, you're the Bricky yeah. bunch. 
Yeah, it's wild because, you know, my wife is always, um, has always encouraged the kids to just, you know, really believe in themselves and has great integrity as a person is willing to say no. And I'm much more of a pleaser, a people pleaser, but you know, I think too many times we try to tell people what can't be done. And I've always said to my kids, um, one of the good things is that even if it's one in a million, like someone has to be that one. So like, why not you? And I think you have to carry that. I think that there's going to be enough. I think there's going to be enough people and enough obstacles in, in life, but in, in this career in particular, and that it's not, it's not about being rational. It's about being hopeful that you can create a meaningful life in this art and maybe money comes and maybe money doesn't and maybe money's there and maybe money's you know goes away there's there's not a lot of consistency unless you're in that very very thin sliver at the top but there's something profound as an audience member when i see a performance that moves me i see a film that moves me a play that moves me i see the generosity of that actor to to give themselves in the service of that story, that movie, that play. And I just think that there's something worthwhile about that. And it's worth the pain of the journey. And there is, you know, I mean, there's pain in everything, but in particularly in, in this art form, you know, even when it's good, you're playing maybe something that you're, you're 15 takes in a row dealing with the death of a child or a heartbreak or terror or whatever it is. So, and you're, if you're playing it truthfully and honestly, and you're putting yourself in those situations, you're experiencing it on, on kind of a difficult, uh, in a difficult way. And, and you carry that home with you afterwards. And then, and that's when you're working, when you're not working, you wonder like, where's my, like, what is my life? Who, like, what, what, what is this? Like, where, what am I doing or not doing? And, but that said, there's some magic about that walk from your trailer to set or backstage when you're about to step on the stage where you're doing something you love doing and that you can do well, and that has value. When you were starting out, do you remember your first paid gig, the first time someone gave you money for this? Did that blow your mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a, yeah, yeah. There was, um, like, one of the first that my, we had, um, it was before Billy was born, uh, so I was back in Toronto, so we had Dempsey still, and I remember I got this Molson commercial. You know, I was waiting tables. We were, we were so poor. We were so broke for so long. And I remember we were lying in bed on our futon, my wife and I, and we had the baby with us. And I got this commercial, this Molson commercial during the Olympics or something. And I was a Swedish hockey player in the shower. And it was like sort of a play on the, the psycho thing. And the hockey player pulls it open, nice cover, and I scream. And it was like a small amount of money. But we thought, God, we were so rich. Like we thought, this is it. Like, this is it because in my mind also i thought if you did a career you were famous a commercial you were famous if i saw someone that i'd seen on tv in any capacity i'm like you must be so rich and you're so famous and i still get that i get like i i'm so like i see someone that i recognize and it's it's the gray from winnipeg comes out it's like i it's i it's so foreign to me but yeah i remember getting that and thinking this is incredible and also at stratford <laughs> when they first <laughs> When they first offered me the, uh, to be an apprentice in the, in the season, we were going to move to Stratford. And I remember Anthony Cimbalino, who's now the head of the company, called and they offered me, it was $400. And 
And I thought it was for the season. And I said yes. Thinking, <laughs> we were like, like, this is a great opportunity. It's Stratford. It's like six months. Somehow we can make it work. And maybe I'll borrow money from my parents a little bit to just stay alive. And how much? Would it, and it ended up being $400 a week, which is still not a lot of money. But we lived on that. Like we found this great little apartment in Stratford above this restaurant called Down the Street. And we was a little two bedroom and we had Dempsey and I would, you know, go to the theater and be rehearsing and then doing shows at night and coming back with it. It was like this magical time. And we lived on $400 a week. We had no car or anything. And we didn't, I guess we didn't do anything other than walk on the, along the river and be like a young couple together with a baby. And, but there was something so pure about that. And I can remember coming home after shows and they would be asleep and I would just, read like everything I could about acting like I would just read and I'd go to the library and I'd watch old performances they had sort of like those microfiche things and you could mm. find it and I just was so passionate about it I'd love it so much so irrationally so like I just really feel blessed every time it doesn't even have to be on a set every time I walk into an audition room, like every time I get a chance to do this I just love it yeah yeah that's great. Do you remember uh, any of the roles in Stratford that you played? So I was, uh, yeah, I played, uh, God, I was in the Scottish play and I was the guy who run, now I can't remember the character's name, but I run onto the stage and I say what a crazy night it's been and horses were eating each other and all that stuff. I played that. I played um, Wolfgang in Night of the Iguana, which is like one of the two young German, the young German couple. I understudied Jordy Johnson as uh, uh, Reverend Shannon, Knight of the Iguana. I played a character. He doesn't even exist in the real play, but they, uh, Martha Henry created a character called Mr. X, who's sort of like the lover in the cherry orchard. Like it's, it's alluded to in the play, but you just saw me at the very beginning. I didn't do much. I essentially was, um, I essentially was a glorified spear carrier. <laughs> and, um, uh, I still loved it though. I loved, and then got invited to again, be part of the conservatory, but I never really got to do anything great other than some of the understudy runs and, and some of the scene work in class, but it was still um, not necessarily at the time, the best fit creatively for me. Like there's a, there's a definitely a house style about things. And, and I came sort of so full of New York and every moment was going to be, fresh and alive and new and I was going to be you know I was going to connect even peripherally like as much as I could to these things and speak from the heart and and speak from the moment every time that I could and some of the older actors there and and I suppose if you're carrying a play for four months you once you lock in your performance a lot of them like they locked it in and if you did anything I'm not like changing lines or improvising I'm just saying you were one foot over or the the intent behind the line was different on a night. Like it was a problem. So I figured that might not be the best uh, fit for me. Cause I don't particularly, I don't like to work that way. I respect the craftsmanship, I suppose. And I understand that it's difficult to like go there every night and every day. But on the flip side, I feel like if you're not going to do that, then what's the point of any of it? It becomes this sort of, pretty pantomime or something and i'm not using the word pantomime right because it's not a pantomime but just it just becomes like something cold and something very decided and something very safe and and i think that 
we're paid very well for what we do. And if we don't put ourselves in, in danger, in harm's way every time, if that's what it's called for, then we're really not doing it. Hmm. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about auditions and audition processes. We live Mm -hmm. in a world now where um, auditions have changed now that they're all Mm -hmm. self-tapes for the most part, at least in first auditions. uh, And then we've got Zoom callbacks and maybe there's some stuff happening in the room now. But um, Brandon can attest to this too, is when you come into the studio here at Actors Audition Club, I think you're one of the most well-prepared. You're always like a half an hour early. Um, to the point where Brandon knows that he, like, in his head, he's <laughs> attempting to beat you here to the studio, uh, but also very relaxed and, um, you, like, in the zone. You you arrive in the zone, um, but also very relaxed, very well prepared. And I think that's something that's a little different. The luxury of self tapes is you have often more time, so I think a lot of actors will use the self tape session as a little bit of rehearsal period and, and iron out the kinks. And then eventually by the end of the session, get a usable take that they want to send off. Whereas you're really the opposite. Like you, you seem to treat it like it's the olden days where you walk in and you got one takes, two takes and you're out goodbye and you're really in the room yeah. for just five minutes. So can you talk a little bit about, um, and I know it varies from audition to audition and how much time you have, but can you talk about your overall process from the time your agent sends you an audition to the time you're here at the studio to, um, to tape it. Just walk us through your process, what, what you're doing at home in your own time. Sure. Um, well, one, th- thank you for those kind words. And, and I'm, I'm, before I even get into that, I'm just going to say how, because I do come from a time when it was always in the room. And there's something magical about the excitement and the anticipation of going somewhere. And also there's something to me, sacred about a designated audition space, a workspace. You know, even though we don't have the luxury when we're on a set, it's all there for us, right? If you're in a dining hall, you're in a dining hall, you're whatever. So you have all of that that helps feed your imagination. I, I the, the challenge that I find taping at home, and I'm blessed with excellent readers at home. My kids help, my wife help. They're all very talented. But it's, for me, it felt like I'm still in my house and, and it's still like all the baggage of your day to day is there with you. And it didn't feel special. Like I would, I could do it and I do could do good work. And, but you know, there's my bed to the side or there's my couch, there's my, you know, whatever it is, there was no, there was nothing that it, it, it wasn't creating a sacred space around creation and, and a place to just be a professional actor working, be an actor sharing your work, doing your craft. So so I really appreciate when I, I sort of revisited you guys uh, last year because I was just not feeling it at home. Like I just wasn't, it just didn't feel special. It, I didn't feel excited. And I know that, you know, I've worked with both of you guys and when I'm, I'm getting ready to come and, and either drive to you guys or now I'm closer walk to you guys, like I get excited the way it used to be with an audition because you're, you're with people that care, that are excited about it. The time is carved out. You're not just fitting it in between something else in your life. Like you're giving it importance. And, and, and I think just telling for your own sake, you're realizing this is something important that I'm doing. I'm a professional actor. I'm going to, to do my work. I'm going to share that, my choices, my, my approach to this character with people that may or may not hire me. But, but I feel like a professional actor. And so much of COVID and not being in a room with the guys really hurts. 
this we had this community right like and you guys know there's a community of actors and you see each other in the room and you touch base and you know he's doing this and she's doing that and they're doing that and and it's a you felt like you were part of something. You felt like you were part of a profession. You felt like you were part of an industry. And I understand the utility of, and the necessity of, of the Zoom audition. But it, it, to me, it was just missing that sense of like, that electricity of this is the moment. Like this is a moment. And when I come to you guys, I'm preparing like it was the old days where I'm getting in the room. I love sitting in that waiting room for a second. And then just, we, we go in and we're there to work and, and we're, it's not, I'm not going to like tiptoe around it and try to find my way. Like I come in ready to go. So I get an audition beep comes in. I will read a little bit, the character breakdown, just so that somewhere in the back of my mind, I'll start going over the script and, and start like hunting for, similarities thing like like just like what is what what does this mean to me personally and what parallels do i have in my life like what am i going to use like what tools do i need what experiences do i need to draw on sometimes something's written so charismatically that you just like it's just so you just memorize learn your lines and which i always have to do some actors and i've seen be great they've got they're on the they've got the paper in front of them and they're just you know and they're great they're relaxed they're easy I, I don't, I, I feel anxious. Like part of me still needs to do a like good job. Like, you know, and I don't have enough give zero Fs that I feel like I can just have that paper in hand. Some do, and some are great with it. I like to know my, know the words forward and backward to be really have them in. I have no idea how it's going to come out on the day in the moment. Um, because I'm, I'm really, I, I love to play off somebody. I love to see what you're giving me, what Brandon's giving me and just play, like really, really um, connect with the person. Let that be, if you're really trying to affect them, if you're really trying to have this thing happen, then I think it's important for me to be able to be focused on you, not on me trying to get lines right or me trying to remember lines. Like that's not what it's, that's not what it's about. I always like to do um, an emotional prep, particularly if it's uh, if it's something that's a scene that's gonna that's gonna call for like a heightened emotion in one way or the other. I'll start in the morning, uh, so I'll I'll learn the lines the night before. Like I'll really commit to, to having that. If I have it early enough, I love to go for a walk with my dogs and just be running it, just running it, running it, running it, running it. But the day and then I don't sleep very well the night before, which is always exciting. And then I wake up really early and the, the, it's in my head, like it's starting to be in my head. And then if it's a scene that, that's going to, again, it's going to demand some, some emotion from me or, or something that I want to just sort of start to tenderize the meat in the morning. I'll listen to music that I know is going to sort of start to strip away at me a little bit. I'll start to just sort of play with memories, looking back at pictures of my kids when they were little. I just get myself not... I just get myself in a place where I'm warm, where I'm emotionally warm and where I know that then the writing and the other actors is going to be able to affect me. I think we walk around with so much um, armor and baggage in our day-to-day -day life that it's important to, to strip that away, to relax, to be, to be present, to spend time breathing, to just do all of the, get rid of any excess energy that you may, maybe I like to go for a run. I love to go to the gym first to just get it, get all of that like, 
nervous energy discharge and what's left is that useful energy that useful emotion it's not going to be a lot of times as actors what what like we feel that we're doing something but it's just like that's just a lot of nervous energy going through our body and we're not connected to the thoughts we're not connected to the scene we're just feeling something and it feels good to feel something but i like to get rid of like that first layer of whatever that is and then just get to what i need for the scene and then and then now when i'm you know when i'm at home if i'm not able to come in for whatever reason i i like to carve out a point in the day and i let whoever is going to be my reader here know we're taping from this to this and and if you need breakfast or whatever please do it beforehand and i was not great about that during covid where it would be sort of whoever was going to read was like, can I please, you know, can I get five minutes and you know, you're waiting there. We've got a piece of toast in their mouth and they come up and they, you know, it, it's not, they're doing you a favor as opposed to someone who wants to be doing this with you. So I, um, and then I, I roll up to you guys and we check the lighting and I don't like to rehearse. I want to shoot it. Um, I often find that the first take and the last take are always the ones that we end up with one of those two. And uh, I come prepared. I really appreciate on your guys' end how prepared you guys are. Um, you, you obviously, you're fine actors uh, in your own right as professionals beyond the service you guys provide. And it shows and it matters because there are some actors, you know, I've heard Michael Caine talk about it. It doesn't matter. You can put a tennis ball on him thing and he's going to be fine. Like he doesn't need you. I, I need like I really, really need the reader because it's, it really is for me about like finding some little moment between us, whatever that is. And, and it could be a very, like, I could be threatening. It could be anything, the scene, but it's just, I need that little, like that, that energy happening back and forth. Otherwise, otherwise I feel like I don't, I'm not really doing anything. So right. that's, mm -hmm. um, and it's, we're pros, like it, it, it matters. Like we can be dilettantes, so like you can not take it seriously, but I don't know what other important thing in your life you wouldn't take seriously. And I know a lot of actors, and again, whatever gets you there. Like if you if you can piss it off and show up and not know and you know, chew, put your gum out of your mouth or whatever and pick it up and for some reason just poof, magic happens, good for you. Like I treat this like it's something that I care about and that I want to to give all that I can give in that moment, even with only a day's notice, even, a, and it's not going to be a, it's not going to be the same as if you've been playing the character for a week or a month or a year. But like I want to bring enough of myself authentically to that moment that they're going to have something to decide on. And I'm, I mean, as an actor, you're, you're going to be not right for the part way more often than you are right for the part. But as long as I feel like, okay, I came and I did my work and that I was present and that I was daring and that I was available and I let whatever happened happen in that room after, you know, preparing, not planning, then, you know, you, then you gotta just let it go. Easier said than done. You gotta do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I love the fact that you make it something special and you make it a ritual. We often talk, um, uh, not only here at Actors Audition Club, but also with um, one of our coaches, Tom Todoroff, we talk about the importance of a checklist and just going going into um, 
uh, a plan and a checklist and using a system like like a pilot does when they're about mm -hmm. to take off or like a surgeon does where it's or, or like an athlete does where it really is okay it's go time and i'm a professional and these are the things that i do to get me get myself ready and then it's showtime and and we record so i love that you do that uh, and we have a really um, unique perspective because we get to see all kinds of actors all kinds of experience levels who like you say everyone has their own process uh, but we do occasionally see someone that like we'll see someone who just got the audition last minute they haven't really prepped it they walk in and really they're using the hour to learn the lines and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse till mm -hmm. they to, till they finally get a take that's usable at the end but that's very different than coming in and and being ready to rock and the other thing that that you mentioned too is a lot of actors will just use the reader and they're listening to the reader but they're just picking an eye line uh, next to the camera or an eye line, uh, a mark off camera uh, versus making eye contact and engaging with the reader like a real human being. Um, and you're, you're one of the people who, who specifically asked for that in the room. And a lot of people don't care. So um, it's really interesting that you do that. Yeah. And I think that's just a matter of, uh, I think a lot of it is the, like what, how you work. And I, I've seen I've seen very fine actors that don't need or want anybody. Like I, when I'm on set, I'm a huge proponent of what the performance I'm going to give on this side of the camera. When I'm your off-camera reader, I'm it's, I'm going to that place every single time. And if like that's just that's to me part of the job. And I know some actors that are like, well, no, no, just save it. Like I don't. And I'm like, oh. Well, no, but, but thank you for that anyway. But it's, so it's interesting. Like it's a very, it, because it's so personal because it's really us at the end of the day. Like I, I don't, who am I to say what works for me works for somebody else or what right. works for them would work for me. I, I don't know, but I just know for myself and what I've tried to impart in my kids is this sense of, of honest communication and, and vulnerability and not self-indulgence with it, but you really have to try to ex create that experience for yourself that the character is experiencing if, like for real, for real. And the audience feels that like, I mean, we might be delighted by being tricked or manipulated or whatever, but I think that when you, you feel that sometimes you're in the theater and it's like, Oh, are you watching TV? And you just know, you know, and it doesn't have to be just sad stuff. I mean, it can be whatever it is. You just know that that's for real. Like that actor's intention is for real. And uh, it's, it's thrilling because we rarely get to watch those great moments or those intense moments unfiltered and, and you know, shared with another person. Yeah, because right. I always find it's the improv moments in film that we always keep talking about, like the Heath Ledger moment in The Dark Knight where he's tapping the explode button and it didn't go off and he's hitting yeah. it and hitting it and hitting it and then it finally does and it startles him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's such an authentic moment. It's such a it's such a beautiful thing. And like that doesn't happen unless like those series of events happen in that order. And that's that's what's so beautiful is that we get to create that type of thing with someone else and with a team. And like, that's, that's what I always gravitate towards. 
Yeah, and I think that that's the thing about being present and being um, like open to whatever happens in the room is to be able to play with that and off of that because it is real. Whereas I, I would think that if you've prepared your prepared what you want to do and how it's going to go, you don't leave room for those magical accidents. We're just you know, you'll do something or Lars will do something and your subconscious just has a thing and a reaction and a whatever. And it just, you come alive in a way that's beyond being like a good actor. And there's like something just organically and dynamically human and accidental, which is thrilling to watch because mm -hmm. you know, no matter how skilled you are and how committed and how honest you are as an actor, you're still acting, except in those moments when you let yourself be surprised. And those are gold, man. Like that is, that give me a, give me a, a broken take every time an mm -hmm. accidental just grace note that pops in when shit goes sideways, but you're open with it and you ride. It's like a, it's kind of exciting. Right. Yeah. yeah. We always talk about that happy accidents where mm -hmm. a prop is dropped or somebody knocks over a lamp off a table and, and the difference between an actor who ignores it versus the actor who uses it. And then all of a sudden the scene comes alive. Cause you're like, Oh shit, this is real. Yeah. That well, actually just happened. Yeah. Yeah. To stay with it and not be like, this is not what I thought would happen or not what I expected or not what I planned, but just like, this is like to be in the now as a human right. being, it's a great to be present is a difficult and it's a great quality. We like that. The people we like most are the ones that are present with us and just there. And as an actor, that's what you're always striving for is to just be, present with that mm -hmm. other person and all everything else there could be hundreds of people on the crew and cameras and whatever but when they're ready to go it's you and another person sharing sometimes the most intimate moments of your life vulnerable moments of your life and if you can just be present with that a hell of a gift right brandon i know that you've worked a lot in the room with uh, with greg anything else you want to bring up or or share anything coming up for you if, as far as your experience uh, I, uh, Greg touched on it. I, I love connecting with you on, in the scene. And like, uh, it, it really helps me bring it off the page as quickly as possible and, and make sure that I'm, I'm getting to uh, a faster point of absorbing the words and really listening to what you're saying. And I always look forward to you coming in because I'm like, one, you, you show up very, very early. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm always fighting to beat you here, <laughs> which is, 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 is like an added bonus for like coming here, which is, is always really fun. It's always a race to see who, who gets, gets here first. first. I'm and just I, excited. Like, I love it. Like, I can't wait to get after it sometimes. Like, mm -hmm. some auditions, you just can't. It's like a kid. Like, you just can't wait to get after it and yeah, to play right. like that's the other thing like you know we we sort of have been serious about the technique and the process and all of those things but there's also a wonderful sense of play mm -hmm. a right. wonderful joy in creating even sad or difficult or painful scenes there's still this wonderful joy in not being yourself for a minute or not living in the circumstances of, it, of your life for just a second there's this escape away from it and escape towards and it's just something thrilling to this day like i feel you know again i've done over 100 movies and tv shows and video games now and i still get butterflies every single time i make that walk from a trailer to a set every take every time it is just you walk in and there's it's dark and it's like this it's like disney world or something it's just this magic sacred place that you know anything can happen. Mm -hmm. hmm. I, I always look at it like a, 
like a hole or a tr like a tunnel that I'm going through and then you're stepping over the threshold and going through and then going out on stage and it's it, you're right it's the most magical feeling in the world it's so addicting too like yeah. this is why we put up with all the other nonsense around it and you know ups and downs and career highs and lows and you know all of that stuff but there's just something so thrilling about that and and it doesn't have to be a huge production with you know all the big trailers and all that stuff it can be a little independent film or a little space little stage somewhere where you just get to do what you love to do and god we're lucky to do it mm -hmm. yeah it's a bit like golf that way you can <laughs> yeah all the ups and downs all the shanks and missed yeah. shots but then you man you get a hold of that one drive or that one iron or you sink that long putt where you're like actually dialed in and you're like oh I'm yeah. going to come back and play again next week because this is beautiful. Well, thank God I'm a better actor than golfer because my family would have starved to death long ago. Yeah. <laughs> um, what was I going to say, too? Um, oh, uh, just mentioning um, Brandon. Uh, Brandon always wanted to beat you here to the studio. One time I was taking Luna, my dog, out for a walk. Yeah. And uh, there's a little park parkette out here. And I was on the far side of it. And I, I clocked you walking. And I text, I text Brandon. I was like, Greg's on the way. Where are you? Are you going to beat him? <laughs> Gonna beat him to the studio. Well, from now on, I'm gonna cut it a little bit closer, but not too close. Because I like the thing is, I'm I and again, we've talked about this, even though it's I mean, it's not a room full of other people competing for that role. I love sitting in that waiting room. And you've got like your setup is you've got those books that are all interesting to me, and it just feels we spend so much time as actors in our in our own houses and in our own heads and and we when you get those opportunities to be in the spaces that are acting spaces that are that are designated just for creation that are you know they, it's it's nice for me so i i kind of i enjoy sitting in that waiting room beforehand right. uh, in the same way that because it's a sense memory for me like i remember that this was where we that this is where we come to do work and to see each other and to compete against each other, but also to, to support each other. And um, yeah, that's, that is something that is missing. And I do, I, I, to be perfectly honest, I do hope at least for callbacks and stuff like that, that we get back to a place where that happens because as much as a self tape, I think is a very useful tool. It's not, it's not the best way of us sharing our work because as you said like you could come in for an hour you could do 50 takes and you get one good one right being coached with an injury life and then that's what you get and then that's what they're going to get on set whereas if you get a person in the room you see who they are you get a you get a sense of what they are as an actor but you also get a sense of who they are as a person you can feel their you can feel get a sense of them um and i i do think that that is important in this business because of the nature of this is a, a this is a communion business this is a human sharing humanity with each other business and um and i do hope that again as we get sort of further and further away and people settle and i want to say nor normalcy sort of returns that at least into the callback situation we'll we'll get to be in in rooms with each other again and Either that or I'm just going to start inviting like the guys to show up when I'm auditioning. You'll get like five or six <laughs> and, like, and 
Alan Van Sprang and Peter Outerbridge right. and all those guys. It was just that they were at Sean Benson. We'll just all be sitting around and uh, right. <laughs> shove up for each other just to make it more nerve wracking. All the usual suspects. Yeah, like, the oh, that guy yeah. again. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but we, that's the thing. Like, you, you spend a lifetime. I've been in Toronto since we left New York. Been, I've been in Toronto for what, 23 years. And it's the same faces you, you saw. You came up as boys and people's careers would be higher or lower and they would. You know, they'd be married or divorced and kids and like all of that. And even though we were competitors, we were all fighting for the same jobs. We were in it together. Right. And um, and you just had a sense of knowing each other, which is special. And I again, I do appreciate you guys in, in your way have created an approximation of that. And uh, and I, I do appreciate having a space to come and work with people that care about acting and are talented and um and have a passion for it, really. Thank you. Yeah, and that's w one of the things we've always strived to to make is that it's an inviting, fun, um, professional, but not uh, not cold or sterile here. So that it's always about the it's about play and it's about being creative and and having a real clubhouse, fun house type atmosphere. But professional enough that yeah. okay, we're here to do good work. But and the red carpet outside and things are great. Right. Like, no, I love it. Like, it's just, again, it's creates a heightened sense of like, oh, right. this is kind of magic. This is movie yeah. magic happening. It's, yeah. I mean, I'm yeah. a sucker for that, for sure. Like, I, but I love it. I love right. It. Well, we, we're all suckers for that. Yeah. So uh, I want to talk uh, briefly your role in Far Cry, because yeah. that was a video game, which is mm -hmm. a little different. Can you share some of that experience? Were you doing the motion cap, uh, yeah. like motion capture and all that? Yeah, I um, it's interesting. They, I, I found out after the fact that they had been looking to cast that character for a couple of years, and they just couldn't find anybody to the point where they were actually not knowing how they were going to go forward with the game. And then I, I can't remember what year it was, but it was before Christmas. My agent called and said, "Hey, there's this video game franchise. They didn't know what the, the there's this video game franchise, Ubisoft pro project, and they want you to come in and read for." it for a couple of parts actually i said no because i grew up playing tecmo bowl and you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I mean i had i was so ignorant as to what video games were i just i couldn't imagine that it'd be anything i'd want to do and i had you know this film career going and tv i'm like oh, video game kidding me and then so i said no and then they he, my agent called me back again and said uh well will you read at least um some some of the stuff that they've written so I, I got one part, I can't remember what the character was, it, nah, I threw it away. And then the father, there was the, it's the, the monologue that is part of the game now where I talk about being, you know, I was 23 and I was a nobody from nowhere and we find out we're pregnant and my wife, you know, and I'm working and I'm just over, like overwhelmed by the idea of the responsibility of being a father and my wife goes away and uh, goes when I'm having a, a nap on the couch and she gets killed and I go to the hospital and I see her dead body and then I go in and my daughter's there and you know God tells me that I have to make a choice and I take her little breathing tube and I anyway it blew me away the writing is so beautiful and so powerful and I, I you know I, I also was becoming a father at 23 and I was like this nobody from nowhere in theater school never never had a role in my, like nothing and it was so overwhelming so the, the, it really resonated with me so I went in and uh, David Footy is the name of the director. It was at the old um, Carla Dundas, whatever that space is. And I, I went in and I did one take 
And then I just got up and I left. Like I didn't even wait for them to say anything. And they were kind of like, well, wait, wait, and I, I was gone. <laughs> and then I got a call and Dan Hay, who's the creative director of the Far Cry franchise at the time, he's since left Ubisoft, but he, um, we did a little, uh, they wanted to see me do some of the preaching because like the intimacy, yes, they wanted to see if I could fill out the space. So I, I did some work for them. And then they, they flew me out to Montreal they offered me the part. They flew me out to Montreal and they sort of ex expanded and explored and explained the world to me. And they had amazing visuals. And I was in the Ubisoft building there and it was uh, amazing. I was so blessed to work with that creative team. And that's the only, the only experience I've ever had in video games. So I don't know what it's like for other people, but I found the writing was so compelling and so disturbing and unsettling. And it resonated with me in a lot of, uh, obvious ways so we started to create this character and we would we would shoot and then they would write more specifically for me and even the idea of the discipline of mocap so you know you, you guys you got the helmet on you got the camera right in your face and the lights and the dots and then you've got little balls all over your body and they're they're motion capturing you as you work in the space and it's kind of like this theater work mixed with the camera right there so catch the intimacy but it was definitely it took a minute to get used to it they were so accommodating though for the really intimate intimate scenes like there's a series of monologues i give when each of my siblings has died and because it's a big space and i liked some intimacy they built these like they would build a room essentially around me that the cameras could still see through but it felt like i had a wall behind me and things so it was hmm. felt safe and so they would constantly go out of their way to, to do what they could do to help me do what I needed to do. And I, I, I loved every second of it. And then the response to the game was really strong. And I got to revisit the character a few, few more times, which was uh, incredible. But as an, as an actor who essentially has spent his entire life on, on film sets, I, I really felt that I was able to create that honest intimacy with, the other characters in the game, which would essentially like the other people I was working with, which would become the player in the game. And, um, and then the skill and the technology they have, where you could, you know, you put a side by side of the performance I gave on, it would be filmed. And then how it was rendered in the game was beyond like the technical proficiency of making everything look so believable. They really do manage to catch a bit of the soul of the performance as well. So it was an, unbelievably positive and rewarding experience all the way through both from the friendships I was able to make with particularly Dan and Drew and, um, but, but the whole Ubisoft team and, and that character, it's just a great character. Super cool. Is that, um, is uh, as far as like people recognizing you or fans or anything, is that the role or is there other, or is it bitten or of all the roles yeah. you've done, what's the thing that people talk to you about the most? So weirdly, a history of violence is still something people will recognize me from. And that's been so, I mean, that's 20 years ago. Um, but people will still, that, that changed my career for sure. Like David Cronenberg taking a chance on me for that and fighting for me. And that changed the trajectory of my career because then the studios got very comfortable with me as a bad guy and I was able to actually make money. Um, 
that uh, cops like Frontier, I'll get every once in a while. Jeremy from Bitten every once in a while. The father is a little bit less. People know me and they will grab like on social media will interact. But even though it, they bought my likeness to create it, it's still there's that one step removed that right. people don't always know. But I would say uh, probably like Bitten, Frontier and, and the History of Violence are the three shows that people most recognize me from someone stops me on the street or whatever. Right. Cool. Um, All right. Um, What I want to talk about is the future. Now, Mm -hmm. Uh, we always ask people what uh, what's a dream project they aspire to create. I know that you also have a a parallel um, business and venture that you're getting into speaking and corporate Mm -hmm. speaking and keynote speaking and also coaching. So you Mm -hmm. want to talk about any of those as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always uh, like insofar as a, a project that I like to work on. I, I'm I get to read for really interesting stuff all the time, and and uh, even though it's like last year was a really frustrating year because I came very close to a lot of really great projects, and it just didn't break my way. It just sometimes you go through that, and and it was a bit shocking and 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 humbling because for say 15 years there'd been just like a constant upward. Um, ascent and then last year was like what the hell is going like what am I doing or not doing but that just is what it is so I've written I I created and wrote a project um, that we are actively shopping right now to actually um, I'm doing some coaching a limited number of coaching with uh, with people that reach out to me at Greg Brick coaching uh, acting coaching and I also based on my TED talk have um, created a system of creating and playing different characters um, so you can more successfully live the different roles in your life. You know, we all have this sense of our authentic self, this idea, like this is who we are, right? I mean, but that's just a collection of the stories you were told by your parents, grandparents, friends, like it's like where you were raised, what you did, like that's, that's an accident. Like you are an, your authenticity is an accident of experience. And there's no reason you have to limit yourself like, well, I'm this type of person or I, I behave this way in this situation because it's the way I have always behaved in that situation or the way I learned how. So I use acting techniques to help people create different characters for different parts in their life. Like what you, what's needed uh, from you at work is probably not the same that's needed from you as a parent, as a friend, as a son, as, as all of those things. So, you know, I, I, I do speeches based on that and some workshops corporate workshops and also private coaching life coaching as well where we sort of and it's fun uh, where we create the different characters in your life that it's kind of like an actor in rep theater in the summer like you might be playing Cyrano and Macbeth and Willie Loman all at the same time and they're wildly different but there still is one you there there's the there's the actor who's still there but using voice and speech and wardrobe and movement and emotional states, you play these different characters. And if you do that in your life, I think you can be more effective in the different roles of your life. So I do that doing some corporate keynote speech. I have this really great opportunity. Um, I'm doing a a big speech at Deloitte this summer. uh, One of the the biggest sort of investment banking companies in the world. They're flying me out to Dallas to, to speak at their, entrepreneurs summit where they have a thousand of the biggest CEOs, business owners and investors in America all get together for this thing. And they're going to bring me in to, <laughs> to hopefully entertain them. So that's, 
that's that's life and and it's interesting i'm at a very strange point in my life i was always blessed with acting but also i had kids around that needed to be driven to soccer and needed their lunches made and needed to be walked to school and so i had this very well-paying part-time job as an actor where i'd go off and do and but my life was the day-to-day was you know, work, working around with the kids. Like that was my life. Like the, my family was my full-time job. And now that they've all grown up and moved on and are doing their own thing and they don't need me minute to minute, day to day. I, there, I, there's a lot of time and there's a lot of purpose that I'm trying to find now. Like what, what can I do to both satisfy myself, be professionally engaged and, 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 financially uh, engaged uh, and also to give back. So I'm sort of, I'm navigating and exploring these different things with acting still being the thing that, that thrills my heart most, but there's time. So I'm, it's a, it's a very interesting period of reimagining what my life should look like and needs to look like. And um, it's terrifying when what you knew isn't anymore and what you did isn't anymore. But it's also exciting because as you talk about in your um, your YouTube two specials that you that you did the the, the actual stuff that I really appreciated and watched over in the like last year audition hero yeah yeah the audition hero stuff yes yeah, it was great um, but yeah it's it's imagining I'm gonna have to take my own medicine and decide who I want to be and then become it because there's a little bit of a transition between roles. One long running show has ended and you have to decide what the next one is. Yeah. Right. Uh, We just shared up uh, your uh, website, gregbrickcoaching.com. And uh, I also, we shared the link to the full TED Talk. I would recommend uh, everyone, whether you're an actor or not, check out that. Um, The first time I saw it, uh, I will tell you, it moved me and I was welling up. Uh, It might've even been a full tear come out of these eyes. Um, and it, yeah, it was great. It was really inspiring and, and, uh, a real powerful speech. So check. Thank both you. I appreciate out. That. Yeah. Thank I, I wanted to ask, um, for people who are fathers, parents, uh, in the audience and actors or, or aspiring, uh, fathers and parents, uh, husbands as well, any tips, advice to how to balance the, the challenging world of being an artist with also being a family man and, and yeah. having that life? Yeah, it really, um, I've learned to compartmentalize, I think, that like create the space I needed to do good work, but also understand that, that, that your family needs you and to be present as much as you can. I, I, I know that people are really busy and with phones and hands and you can be constantly called and pulled in different directions. But I think the more you can just be there with your family and kids and not it is what it is. And if you resent it or if you fight against it, then I think that there's nothing but tension in your life. Like you, you are a parent and they're going to need a lot from you, time, energy, emotion. And that's just, that's part of the gig. And if you look at it positively and enjoy those moments and look forward to those moments and even the sacrifices know that there's something honorable in what you're doing and being, for me, being a father, that's something I take very, very seriously. Being a husband, I take that very, very seriously. And I enjoy it. And I'm, and it's not easy. It can be maddening at times. 
and frustrating and you, you think, oh God, life could be so much easier, this, that, whatever. But it, it's your life. And so live it the best you can and give the best of yourself to them, to the people that you love. Take enough time to, to satisfy your purpose and fulfill it, but, but give generously of yourself and give the, the best of yourself to them. Great. Uh, advice that you would give to your past artist self. So young, young Greg, back when you were 23, just a young pup popping off Hamlet. Yeah, shit. <laughs> um, I would say uh, care, but don't feel the need to please people as much. Like really be, do it for you, not in a selfish way, but in a confident and authentic way. I've spent too much time worrying about other people and, and thinking that if you were only nice enough or accommodating enough or, or whatever enough, if you could, if you could just, you know, put enough sugar on the spoon that it would make it okay. And it really, what it comes down to is do really good work and to have confidence in yourself. And there's going to be moments of doubt, but, but make the effort to remind yourself of why you're good and, and the, the good things you've done. And, and if, if, if even, I gotta be honest, like I'll go back and remember performances that I really liked and I'll watch stuff to remember that, Oh yeah, I can do this and watch great auditions. Like you need to keep putting the, the table legs under the table because it's very easy to doubt yourself and it's very easy to, to second guess things. And there's no, there's no way forward looking backwards. So I would just tell myself to give less fucks and, uh, and just uh, give more fucks to what needed to, they need to be given to. <laughs> yes. Be careful where you send your fucks. Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and anything else you want to share with, with the audience? Um, well, I know there's a lot of young, I know there's a lot of young actors, uh, that watch this and, and the community and, and it, it is frustrating at times and it's not easy and particularly we'll look on social media or whatever. And you think, oh, they've got it all figured out. They've got it all together. Their life is so great. Their career is so great, but the, the heartbreaks and the anxieties and the, the pain of this are universals. And again, other than a handful of people everybody feels the same doubt and the same fear but i encourage you to just be courageous and to be daring and share yourself in your art and do it fearlessly and humbly and um, and enjoy the compliments when they come and let them land let them land mic drop Boom. Yes. uh greg we want to thank you so much for taking the time to to be on the podcast today uh, and uh, again, just to acknowledge you, we really appreciate you being a part of Actors Audition Club. And we love when you come in here, your, your professionalism and your preparation. Uh, you are a, a real role model and an inspiration for us. And, and we always talk about it, too, that uh, as much as we're providing a service for you here at the Self Tape uh, Studio, we're also getting a lot out of all those sessions. Uh, so, yeah, so happy to, to have you as part of things. And, and we wish you all the best. And uh, we're we're friends and fans and uh just happy to be associated with you and your career and your whole family too so thank you all the best for the bricks uh brandon anything else you want to add no thank you so much for being here greg absolutely i appreciate you guys i appreciate it have a great night tonight enjoy the least game see you soon soon. thank you so much take care soon everybody bye-bye bye-bye bye-bye